electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the big week ahead for your money as CPI. That's looming large. So is the kickoff to earnings season. We'll debate the road ahead for the markets with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington, Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss. Take a look at the markets. We have an interesting picture shaping up today. We have the Dow uh, in positive territory still. S&P's gone negative. NASDAQ tried to go positive. It's now negative yet again. And maybe a large reason has to do with what you're seeing bottom of the screen. Ten-year yield above 4% still. Uh, the two years at the highest level since 07. Got a bunch of Fed speakers, Joe, we're trying to get through uh, today as well, looking ahead to earnings at the end of the week. The real test is going to be, uh, can stocks withstand a period of higher interest rates again? Well, we've been going through uh, a period of higher interest rates since May 4th. Two-year Treasury is up 140 basis points in less than a uh, little more than 60 days. So I think the market has already absorbed the significant move in yields. I think now the challenge is a lot of long duration strategies were being suggested. It was return, extend the duration once again. And I think those positions are being squeezed out. Um, a lot of that's being reflected in mega cap technology underperforming today. And I think today is more about an equal weighted strategy, Scott. Uh, Apple, mean Alphabet, yeah. Amazon, Microsoft, they're all weaker today. It's, to it's, your point. Not so much, it's not so much where I'd say, okay, it's technology universally, because if you look at the software ETF, the IGV, that's up one and a quarter percent. If you look at the SMH, that's up one percent. So I think this is concentrated towards mega caps, the equal weight strategy. But you're right. If we're going to continue to see yields rise, long duration strategies, which we talk so much about at the beginning of 2022, you don't really want to extend duration in that environment. You know, Weiss, it's an interesting point. I mean, maybe tech is the perfect place to look to see if there's going to be a, a rollover of any kind if you do have rates, you know, continuing to creep up. There are some notes out today that are, are talking about uh, that in, in, in part from a, a number of different places. Bernstein's Tony Sakanagi, by the way, says we struggle to recommend an overweight in tech for the second half. Believe stock picking increasingly matters. Probably you agree with that, right? Yeah, I, I do agree with it. But, you know, look, I, I think the biggest vulnerability are, is in the large cap tech because that's where, on one hand, price vulnerability, because uh, that's where the action's been, right? And that's where the major instances of multiple expansion have occurred. Less so. There's less. It sounds kind of strange, but and they, but that it sounds kind of strange because they have the best balance sheets. They have best growth outlook. If you take a look at, for example, what earnings forecasts are, earnings forecasts for this quarter look to be down seven percent. But there are two sectors where it's really looking to be up, and that is in technology. So the strange thing is, though, they're vulnerable because of price, but not vulnerable <clears> to <throat> the fundamentals. So. 
those are the concerns. So, yeah, if the market rolls over, that's going to be very painful for a lot of people. Well, that's interesting, though, the way you, you, you bring that up. Um, they're vulnerable because of price, right. not necessarily for the fundamentals, which is why even as City today downgrades U.S. stocks, in part because they think that technology is due for a potential pullback, they'd be buyers on the dip. Yeah. For the very reason that you're suggesting, because they provide all of the things you suggested right. and the fundamentals line up as well. So maybe the price is a little ahead of itself in some of these names. You get a little bit of a correct there, um, if, that, if that even happens. Right. And then you're going to get buyers on the dip. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and this is a binary week, right? I mean, you've got, forget about the Fed talk, uh, you've, got, you've got inflation numbers. And if inflation numbers show, show a real decline, then the market's going to take off. If the numbers, on the other hand, show like we saw in, uh, I think it was in Europe today, show an uptick, uh, then you've got an issue with the market. So that's really, so it's binary based on them. What you're seeing today is really nervousness in that very leadership group that you're talking about. The question is, Brent, as to whether, you know, if, if tech falters, is something going to be there to pick up the slack. Barclays doesn't necessarily think so. They don't believe that broadening is going to happen to the rest of the market. Um, the other idea that Bank of America puts forth today on the issue of rising yields, since 1980, they say peaks in U.S. two-year yields have always been followed by a risk-off event within the next year or so. The full extent of damage is unknown until the peak in policy tightening is behind us. We are clearly not at that point yet. How do you see this? Well, I mean, I think I think first of all that you can clearly have other sectors lead when tech is faltering. We saw that last year. If you actually didn't own tech, you did quite well. And so you can always have those those opportunities where other sectors carry the weight. Last year is a good example of that. I think right now it's about digestion and that yes, we've had massive multiple expansion and outside of Nvidia, I'm really hard pressed to see which companies in the tech side are really raising guidance. Sure, Facebook is cutting expenses, but who's actually raising guidance outside of NVIDIA? So I do think this will be one of the more important earning seasons for tech companies, because as we're in this early AI stage of where we're building out the AI, this AI, whether it's sustainable or not, which companies are marketing AI and which are monetizing AI? And clearly NVIDIA is monetizing it. We'll see who else is. I also think that the CPI print is probably going to be weaker than people are expecting because just in the fact that the June of 2022 number is going to drop off. And so after this report, this is going to be the last report where you have this big one handle from last year. The June of 2022, Scott, was 1.2%. And so uh, over the next two months, inflation, the C as, as, as measured by CPI, is going to be continuing to come down into the low threes, which ultimately is another sign for the bulls that yields probably have peaked regardless of what the Fed's done. So I just think we're going to continue to have a small summer rally because I don't think that the economic data is strong enough to push yields that much higher. So, Joe, Bryn makes an interesting point, this idea that other sectors can lead. They did last year. Yeah, that's great when energy is crushing it and healthcare is crushing it. Mm -hmm. But what's crushing it now beyond tech? What looks like it wants to crush it? 
beyond tech. In, You're closer to a, a potential recession now than you were a year ago. The alarm bells of that maybe uh, aren't, you know, flashing still, uh, but maybe, maybe they will. Without, you know, absent one of these other sectors starting to pick up, you need tech. Well, first of all, Europe is in a statistical recession, two consecutive quarters of negative growth. China's declining. If you want to understand why energy is underperforming in a year in which OPEC is reducing supply, it's because Chinese economic growth and the reopening has been muted. So you're studying other sectors. You could look towards industrials and say year to date, yes, they're strong. I don't think that's going to be strong enough to maintain uh, momentum in the market if technology falls to the side and industrials can't be expected to have the leadership. So I look overall, and back to Steve's point regarding price, I think what we're seeing is that momentum in this quarter is going to plateau. Momentum's going to plateau. I don't think it's going to peak. And I don't think that's going to change the narrative of 2023, because this isn't 2022. The fundamental catalyst in 2023 has been technology. And no, I don't expect other sectors, if technology plateaus, to step forward and do enough attribution to advance the S&P further. I don't think you want to get away from technology. I think the story of 2023 is it's the year of technology, not 2022 energy, materials, financials, and healthcare. Is it, is it still going to be the year for technology if interest rates remain elevated, Weiss? Yes. And the re, uh, not all technology, because we've seen some still haven't performed. We see the semis, with the exception of an NVIDIA or something, yeah. have been left behind. But yes, because they don't need funding. So they've got fortress balance sheets. So it's Microsoft, it's Apple, it's even Amazon. They've already funded. So they don't have to come to the market. But, so this, but I know, but this idea of, and it's been dispelled in, in large degree, and if, if Mike yeah. Santoli is going to join us later for his midday word, where he never, he made it clear he never liked the sort of direct link between higher interest rates and the demise of longer duration assets, right? They've proven that they can, that tech can do well, obviously, when, right. when rates are still elevated. So maybe yeah. that's to your point as well. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree with that, but I don't think it's as broad as maybe that statement is. It's companies that very clearly you know, or can grow in any environment, and, or those that don't have to. Well, maybe Mark the, doesn't maybe care, the arc, like Apple. So you're saying the arc, maybe the arc type names are the ones that are more susceptible to Without higher doubt. rates. Without the mega doubt. caps are not for all of the reasons you listed if, if at the very top of the show. If you're losing money, right, if you're losing money, or if your sensitivity analysis as you go through your earnings model is dependent upon interest rates and borrowing costs, because it's not only the cost, it's not only your balance sheet, it's the borrowing cost for your day-to-day -day operations. Longer duration, higher valuation. Right. That's, but, the, or, that's the sort of connect. These massive valuations that a lot of these stocks were trading at, those are the ones that are super susceptible to higher interest rates. Right. Right. And those are the ones, if you are longer duration, you know, something underneath the surface of Q2 that was very bullish was that you saw the secondary market return once again. Secondaries increased 60% from the first quarter. And guess what? Those companies that actually did a secondary offering, they're up 5% from where they did the offering. So I think as you move into the upcoming quarter and think about a lot of those long duration equities, boy, I think that's foolish management 
not to think about raising capital in this environment and doing a secondary. And then you say to yourself, okay, well, what's the response in that scenario? Do you see those stocks peak at that point? I would argue that I think you will. I think you watch the secondary market in the upcoming quarter as it relates to specifically the non-profitable long-duration businesses. Bryn said she still thinks we're primed for a, a summer rally of sorts. Do, do you, Weiss, to me, agree with that? Know, I, I hate to cop out, but it's, uh, it's data-dependent. Yeah. I mean, it's very data-dependent. Well, she thinks the CPI is going to be very favorable. And I think that's right. And I'm sort of making that bet, too, because I haven't hedged anything. I won't hedge anything going into, going into the inflation number. Because I do think you're starting to lap the most aggressive increases in inflation. So just sheer math says they should roll off. There'll be stubborn parts of it. But this is a glass-half-full market. So you parse everything. You'll say, okay, I understand rents may still be elevated, but look at used car prices. Used cars rolling down. over. I mean, and they're a third of, of core. Right, right. As Tom right. Lee was pointing out uh, today yeah. as well. Brent, I mean, that's what you need to hang your hat on if you're, if you're bullish, right? The, the bullish scenario is continued good growth with continued moderating mm -hmm. inflation. It seems that earnings will be, it seems that earnings will be okay. I think what started to spook the market is that obviously just looking at the two year, you know, you were just slowly creeping up to that 5% and then, and then we're there. The, the three month is at 5.4. And so I think that that's really what's put pressure on the market is that you have, you know, four handles and five handles across all of the treasury yield curve. And clearly that's going to give competition in the short term to like large pensions, certain asset allocators. I was like, do I own equities or do I own, do I own bonds when I'm getting five, 5.4%. But I think that the data that comes out is gonna to continue to show us that GDP is slowing and that inflation is coming down. I think that's gonna happen over the next few months. What happens in the back half of the year is, a, is another battle to fight. But right now, I just see the data getting weaker and weaker, which to me puts a lid on rates, therefore allows for the market to continue to rally. Hmm. So Joe, like the, the, we say what the bull case is, right? G continued good growth, the economy continues to surprise. You got you know, the CPI confirming that inflation continues to moderate. The bear case is that you've got sort of lackluster growth inflation's really sticky, and that the market's already accounted for the bull case, right? The market's gone up a lot in, in the first half of the year. Well, I, I think what you're saying. Which sounds like it's a more credible case to make, well, I the think, bull or the bear case. Okay, so let's, let's be completely candid. I think where we are in the calendar is the most complicated and most difficult uh, trying to figure out the investment strategy over the next 90 days. No, July's right. July's usually pretty good. July, historically, for the NASDAQ is pretty good. But to Steve's point, okay, we've got CPI being reported. We've got an earnings season where is it going to be another 7% contraction for earnings three consecutive quarters? On the other side of that, if guidance isn't good, the analyst expectations are you have a very sharp snapback in the following quarter and you're out of this earnings recession. So if there's more of an earnings recession malaise, I think that correlates to an environment where stocks really struggle and move in a sideways to lower pattern over the next 90 days. Although, I think the good thing, the good thing is, yeah. I do think we've built in a buy the dip mentality for technology yep. and mega caps. We've also built in, Bryn, the idea of bringing down earnings expectations and then jumping over 
the low bar. That, that's sort of Goldman Sachs's view today. They expect companies to be able to meet the low bar set by consensus. And, you know, going into every earnings season over the last three or four, it's like, oh, my God, earnings are going to be bad. They're going to start being really bad. And they really haven't been. Now, they may at some point, but they still haven't been. And maybe this time they won't be again. Well, right. Well, we have a, stock, a market of stocks, not just a stock market. So I think it's going to be dependent. But no, I think that I think that obviously that that makes sense. I think what will be interesting, though, is that I do think, especially like with the big cloud providers, I don't see they're spending all this new capex. They're going to just start really ramping that up with all of the uncertainties in the economy. I do feel that very confidently they are spending on AI. So to me, what will be interesting is within the big companies, are they spending less on the hardware, on the networks, which would hurt like an HPE or a Dell or those types of companies. So I think that's to me is going to be really interesting to start seeing where these companies are and are not spending within technology. And I do think there's going to start to be some winners and losers and some dispersion between the companies spend on AI versus that CPU type of spend that they've had all for all these years before. Let, let me give you a couple of observations. First is, is that in this quarter, while earnings are forecast, top-down earnings forecast to be down 7%, it's below trend in terms of the revisions, lower revisions from the, the end of the second quarter to third quarter reporting. So it's below trend. So expectations are there that to exactly what you're saying, that the bar has been set very low and it's always exceeded. Always, no yeah, matter but, how bad. But they've been so, <laughs> as, as our, right. our, our buddy Josh Brown was, was putting on thread today, mm -hmm. um, they're too pessimistic. Well, down 7% is pretty pessimistic after what you've seen last year. They're, they're going to be too pessimistic right. again. Right. Is, is his point. Well, they've got, they've got a freebie to do that because that's the thought process. The other side, going back to your other question, taking into account Bryn's comments, if you look at the private markets, very, very difficult for VCs to raise money. And you're not seeing a lot of new companies get funded, and you're seeing a lot of existing companies that are on the precipice of going belly up. And the reason being is that VCs are saving their money because they don't know where they're going to have to deploy capital in their current portfolio to prop up those companies because they can't raise external capital. So that's going to, so if we go take that and say, okay, what about public companies, to Bryn's point, I agree, you can see much more caution on CapEx, which is not good for the industrials that have also seen multiple expansion this year. So Joe, Mike Wilson on earnings suggests that, of Morgan Stanley, of course, that better than feared is likely no longer good enough. Do you agree with that? No. No, I don't agree. Listen, I, I, a lot of what Mike has said over the last six months, I disagree with. Um, I, I think because he's been looking for an earnings apocalypse Mike, Mike and, is, a, and a, a stock market to follow. Right. And it, and it hasn't happened. And the market has gotten away. Um, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people who followed that narrative, not just specifically for Mike, but they turn towards cash yielding equivalents and now they're in a very difficult place. How do they reinvest into the marketplace once again? So if in fact you can get the opportunity off of earnings 
where the market is going to pull back. That's why I think there's this very strong condition that's going to exist where there's going to be the buy the dip mentality. And to your point on capital availability and the cost of capital right now, it directs investors right back towards the mega cap. It directs the investor towards the $97 billion of free cash flow sitting on Apple's balance sheet or the $60 billion at Microsoft or the $57 billion at Alphabet. Yeah. Those companies, the premium is going to be paid. That's going to support the market as you move into Q4 and keep the overall trend. You know, in fairness to, to, to Mike, we have gotten the earnings apocalypse, right? That's Not really. Come down, come down about oh, yeah. 20%. But we've not seen the stocks react to it, and it's been bifurcated. I mean, we've seen earnings come down, but right. it, it hasn't been to the degree that the bears have suggested it was going to get to. Broadly, it's absolutely true. We've seen the vulnerability in, in energy, primarily, right, leading materials as well, and financials to a certain extent. The rest, it hasn't been an apocalypse. Well, that, that's what's upset yeah. the, the bearish case more than anything yeah. else, is that Earnings haven't deteriorated to the degree they thought it right. would. Not broadly, absolutely right. And and as a result of that, stocks haven't either. Right. It's part of the reason why you've been able to maintain the, the rally that you've had. Now, tech is, is different than some of these other more cyclical and sensitive to the economy areas that, that we, we look at. He also suggests that the bull or bear earnings case is not going to be solidified, uh, Bryn, from this earnings season. So you're going to be left kind of in the same place, but at some, at some point, this better-than-feared idea is just going to run out of gas. Do, do you buy that or not? Well, I think that we're, we're the part of his piece was titled, Do Earnings Matter? And I think as investors, you have to remember, in the short term, it's about sentiment and positioning. And that's what you've had all year. You've had multiple expansion because of sentiment and positioning. Over the long term, all that matters is earnings. And so I think that's kind of where I, I agree with what Joe is saying, is that what he said earlier, that I think you're going to come back to tech. But I do think you have to understand animal spirits are high. We got this multiple expansion because people think we have this new paradigm that the Fed has done. And to me, what would derail that later on this year is that either you have an event, which is typically what puts us in a recession, is this like unknown event, which we can't plan for that, or if, if what we said earlier, inflation does get stickier, and then we have this, we're gonna go a little bit incrementally higher, and then ultimately something breaks. But to me, that's a battle for another day. Right now, over the next few months, I don't see that people are gonna become instantly pessimistic just because there's so much still excitement around what's happening in tech, and those animal spirits are really hard to push down. So before we take a break, I want to get to our chart of the day, which I've decided was going to be meta uh, okay. because it was as a mega cap up in a down NASDAQ tape and up, whereas it's uh, other mega cap. So, well, now it's down, but it was up for most of the time until we uh, until we came on um, after its threads. I mentioned threads and, and this Josh Brown thing that he put on there, which I thought was interesting, reaches 100 million users in just a handful of days. Zuck's uh, putting stuff out about that. Meta's at a 52-week high today, even though it's rolled by, you know, a few bucks. So we've been talking about this for the, the better part of the last week. There's optimism, once again, about utilizing a social media platform that can eliminate a lot of the negativity and just focus on quality content being delivered. And I think that's exactly what Threads right now is doing. Um, it's re-energizing those that probably stepped away from 
the Twitter platform because of a lot of the negativity, uh, the presence of bots and the ability for one voice to have multiple identities. And there's this genuine optimism that threads could be something different. Um, whether that's an unrealistic expectation, I think we'll find out over the course of time. But clearly right now, the engagement is far beyond, I think, what anyone expected. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I mean, you have to link it to your Instagram account, so the anonymity sort of goes away, right? You just can't put, to your point, bots, and you can't have just the faceless haters out there, and that removes the cesspool of it. So, in my view, this increases the advertising dollars that will go to Meta that were, we've already seen them leave Twitter, so now they can find a home. So I think it's very positive to renew some of the excitement about Meta. So why not? And Meta, by the way, is the cheapest of the mega caps. Almost by a wide margin, Alphabet accepted. And Alphabet's got some issues, of course. You, don't, you, you own it here? I, can't I do remember. own it. You do own it. I do own it. Would you add to it based on this sort of, I guess it's fair to say, new development? Um, would I add to it? Now, uh, they have to be able to, you know, monetize this yes. in ways that... Twitter, frankly, has not been able to do. Well, it's both offensive and defensive. So it protects the Instagram franchise, not their, you know, from more infringement by TikTok, right? TikTok's had some other issues. Um, this is not new news. This news came out a couple of months ago. So I took the opportunity then, or a month or so ago, to increase my position. I'm not increasing with the market backdrop here with a binary event. If it got hit, bad in terms of the inflation number coming out a strong number than I would I think they've done <clears throat> I think they've done something that's far more important they've restored the credibility and management once again and that was really important yeah. they've moved away from talking about the metaverse they focused on cost efficiency they embraced the Brad Gerstner principles and now once again you could believe in this management team that they're going to be focused in the near term on what the priority should be to grow the revenue and to protect the balance sheet. And I think threading is part of that, okay? The threads platform is part of that story once again. And as long as we're not hearing about the metaverse, I think you've and, got to and be And think happy. of this timing of this, right? It came out, arguably, the company even said there'll be more updates. It's not exactly, and Jonas Stern is excellent, the journal, not prime time, complete prime time ready. Sure. They took the opportunity to launch this when Musk came out and said, we're limiting the number of tweets right, that you can look at. We're looking at the number of tweets that you can put out there. So they took Twitter at arguably its weakest moment, of which it's had many, many, many since he acquired it, and been right there. So management is very strategic. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and take uh, first break. When we come back, more trouble in the Magic Kingdom, the latest headline on Disney that is pressuring shares yet again today. We break down the details. There's a stock down three-quarters of 1%. We'll get into it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. 
Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back to Disney Shares. We just showed you under a little pressure today. The Wall Street Journal reporting the 4th of July weekend, one of the slowest in nearly a decade. Joe, I'll go to you. This is about travel analysts and advisors say traffic to parks uh, has slowed this summer. Line waiting time shows the Independence Day weekend was one of the slowest in nearly a decade. Mm-hmm. That recent price hikes and changes to park operations have soured some families on visiting. You, of course, owning Netflix which you uh, have reminded us on numerous occasions as the stocks have and, gone and like and this. Listen, and, I'll, and I'll continue to look at a conversation with, with Jenny and, and Jim last week about Disney. And I think in each of them believe that the valuation for net, Netflix is extreme. My argument is why not? There, there's an there's a element of the cost of capital when measured by time. Why not in the near term, while you're waiting for the turnaround to Disney, give consideration to Netflix as a very compelling alternative? Why? Scott, it's a simpler story than what's going on at Disney right now. And I'm sure Disney at some point will turn itself around. It's $88 right now. It's near the December low at $84. Bob Iger, he will figure it out. He's a legend. He's a Hall of Fame CEO. He'll figure it out. But it's a complicated story, okay? okay. What is? I got to come back for you, but finish. What? What is? What is the jewel? On. What is the jewel of Disney? ESPN. What do we hear about at ESPN? Significant reduction in headcount. We have challenges at the parks. When we think about content, who has restored the content back to the quality level that we knew it to be from years ago? Netflix, without question. The content as Disney is just not there. So. I look at it from the aspect, I understand and I respect the viewpoint valuation-wise that Jimmy and Jenny have, but I look at it in the near term and I say, is there a fair alternative where I could keep my money in the interim? And to me, without question, from a momentum aspect, it's okay. Netflix all day. The, the only comeback that I can think of is, that's great, mm-hmm. it's already in the stock. Yep. That's why Netflix is up 134% over a year and 50% year to date. Um, the more compelling buy, if you're looking for value, why wouldn't it be Disney, given all of the hair on the stock and the story being known? I mean, how about you're 100% correct? 100% correct. From a value perspective, from a value perspective, looking longer term, looking through the lens that someone like Jimmy or Jenny would look at, without question, that's not the lens I'm looking at. I'm looking at the lens of my money in the interim, where it's going to be treated better, I think it's going to be treated better by Netflix, certainly over the next three to six months. Yeah, the interesting thing about, first of all, Netflix should have a great quarter because of the strikes that they're not going to have spent as much on content. 
So while revenues will be fine, you'll have your, it will be the same. You'll see their earnings be better than expected because of the lack of content spend, because they spend so much on it. So their competition, Netflix's competition also, we've heard Jassy talk about Prime. So they're going to spend less money on content in Prime. Apple's never been a big spender on it, so it's not really a competitor. They have a low subscriber base, I think 20 million subscribers. So Netflix is really the only game in town. In terms of Disney, yes, there is a lot of hair on it, but what do the cattles turn around? They talk about taking ESPN and making it all subscription. That's going to open, in my view, that's going to open the door for a competitor. ESPN has a lock on the market. Yeah, here, here, here's what I don't get. Like in any of these right. cases, you, you, you often hear, uh, yeah, it's a turnaround story, it's got a lot of issues, but I'm betting on the CEO, Bob Iger. Right. Iconic right. guy. But he's got the issues. That's with always the case you hear being made by, by people who want to get behind a stock right. that's got a bunch of trouble. GE, right? Yep. I remember when Stephanie Link was buying GE when everybody else hated it. Why? Larry Culp. Right. Right? right. By the way, now, Full disclosure, she sold, she sold Disney in May, yeah. okay? So I think she just got tired of sitting here waiting around for, for the turnaround. But why aren't more people betting on Iger? How long well, is he gonna be there? I think a lot of people have been betting since he came there. Stock popped when he came there. Stock was well above where it is now. It was at 110, 120. So they got bored. So they've got a very big problem with their balance sheet, as GE did. And then they've also got some issues, you know, that, that you didn't have, which is a money-losing business, the streaming business. So it's difficult to turn those things around. I think it'll bounce at some point, but with GE, it's going to be years. It's not going to be weeks or months. So, Bryn, UBS reiterates Disney today as a buy. 122 is the price target. Um, the whatever uh, Iger premium was in the name is evaporated. Well, right, because he's an interim CEO, first of all. And I think this um, is allegedly. a very uncomplicated story. I mean, I think this is a very uncomplicated story. So, you know, Netflix, kudos to Joe, because Netflix went down last year like everything else in tech. But then, obviously, they had an issue with their subscribers. They fixed that, and now the chart looks great, the stock looks great. And guess what? They put out good content. The problem with Disney is they're not putting out good content. They need to take a playbook from Tom Cruise, like in all, in all seriousness, and put out movies people want to see. And so you can't do Marvel 10.0 and Indiana Jones 10.0. And like these were great in the beginning, but it comes down to innovating and finding movies and streaming shows that we all want to see, and that is where they've missed the mark. And so I, I think between that, and I still believe that the stock is still in somewhat of a purgatory because of the conflict that they're having in Florida. They need to fix that, and they need to scrap what they've been doing and go back to the bread and butter of what Disney used to be, of making just good entertainment and keeping the politics out of it, and the stock price will go higher. All right, let's get the headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hi, Bertha. Authorities say a U.S. Marine was detained after a missing 14-year-old girl was found in the barracks of a California base. While the Marine has not been charged, U.S. officials say he has been taken in for questioning. San Diego authorities say a human trafficking task force is supporting the investigation and that the teenager was returned to her family. The World Meteorological Association says last week was the hottest on record across the globe. Association leaders say we can expect to see more record-breaking temperatures as we deal with the El Nino weather pattern and climate change in general. Meantime, in the Southern Hemisphere, there was some rare weather as well. 
Johannesburg saw its first snowfall in more than a decade today. Well, parts of South Africa regularly get snow during their winter months. The last time it came down in Johannesburg was 2012. Wow, that looks like a lot. Yeah. Back to you. All right, Bertha, thank you, Bertha Coombs. Coming up, a reversal of fortune hitting a number of popular trades in the ETF market this year. What is behind that underperformance? The answer is next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime. I'm Bob Pisani. Two of the hottest trends in ETFs are cooling off a bit. Buying protection against a downturn in the market was the hot ETF trend of 2022 and into 2023. Investors own stocks, but also sold calls that would collect income and provide a cushion against any downturn. But the market's been rising all year. Most of these strategies are underperforming. Another hot trend, buying the international market over the U.S. market, also underperforming this year. What's going on? Let's talk with Kim Arthur. He's the CEO of Maine Management. Kim, the big ETF winner last year was JEPI, that J.P. Morgan Equity Premium ETF, $27 billion in assets. And you run the competitor there, the main buy right ETF, but they do similar things. They own stocks or stock indexes. They sell calls against them, but both of them are underperforming this year. When you're selling calls, you bet the market's going to remain range bound or lower, and yet money keeps going into these funds. People still want protection, even in an up market. Explain this. Why is this working and not working at the same time? Yeah, sure, Bob. Great to see you. Thanks for having us on. Um, yeah, call writing works in two out of three environments very well. It, it'll outperform typically in down markets, like you mentioned, in 2022. Uh, in a flat market, uh, it will typically outperform because of the premium income. But in a straight up market, uh, it is going to struggle for sure. And um, as you mentioned, uh, you've, you've got JEPI that's actually also faced a couple other issues where the beginning of the year, they were distributing an annualized rate of almost 13%. That's now down to about 8% because the volatility index, yeah. the VIX has collapsed. Um, so I think it's also a positioning situation, Bob. Um, we like to look at our buy right and, and tell people that it's the glue between the wall, which is fixed income, yeah. and that's investment grade, and the wallpaper, which is right. equities, which is um, you know obviously yeah. more risk on, and that right. it should live somewhere between that, and that you have to make sure you position it properly in a yeah. client portfolio. Yeah, I want to I want to talk about this a little bit more on the ETF Edge show, but I want to turn to international because that's the other thing that's not worked this year. It started out promising. Everyone was in um, European and emerging markets. Uh, they outperformed the U.S. early on, but it's all faded. The U.S. is far outperforming Europe, most of the Far East, emerging markets underperforming the U.S. This is back to where we've been for the last decade. What happened? This was supposed to be the year for international investing, and everyone who bet early on this is so far losing. So, Bob, the number one 
predictor for future performance of international stocks versus U.S. is what is the dollar going to do? Um, and as you pointed out, the dollar um, in the first quarter, the dollar continued to drop dramatically, making a low around February. And that's why you had outperformance in the first quarter. But then you had a slight counter trend rally that happened in the second quarter. But if we look right now, the dollar is down over 10 percent off of its last September high. And then it's only up one percent off the lows here. And I think the other thing that people need to make sure that they keep in mind you don't want to compare international markets to the S&P. Why? The S&P is a growth index. It's over 60% growth, where international is under 40% growth. The proper right. benchmark, we believe, to look at is value. Value in the U.S. trades at 15 times, where international trades at 13 yeah. times. So that's your true bogey. Yeah. And if you look year to date and trailing one year, International has beat large cap yeah. value. All right. We're going to talk a lot more about this, much more on buying protection strategies, including buffered ETFs. That's coming up on ETF Edge, 1.10 p.m. Eastern Time. Kim will be joined by Mike Aikens, founding partner of ETF Action, as we discuss what's working and what's not working in ETFs this year. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Scott, back to you. All right. Good stuff, Bob. Thank you very much. Bob Pisani up next, the potential new rule change. That could cause money managers to take less risk and possibly drive lower returns. Those details when halftime returns. All right, welcome back. The SEC is seeking a major rule change that could have hedge funds taking less risk. Our Leslie Picker following the money for us joins us as always. What's this all about, Leslie? Hey, Scott. So it's seemingly a technical tweak, but one that lawyers say could fundamentally change how business in the private fund industry is conducted. Now, the rule change involves lowering the bar for fund managers indemnification from gross negligence to ordinary negligence. The current standard allows limited partners to sue general partners only for recklessness or disregard to obvious risk. But if that were changed to ordinary negligence, then LPs may be able to sue for simpler mistakes, making it easier for them to bring claims against GPs. That may steer managers towards safer but less lucrative bets, says Mark Elovitz, chair of the regulatory practice at Schulte, Roth & Zabel, a law firm that counts a number of private funds as clients. The ability for fund managers to take risks and to be protected for their simple day-to-day -day conduct is fundamental to having an investment strategy that has potentially higher rewards. And so if you're going to have, have funds that offer potentially higher returns, there are going to be risks associated with that. And investment managers are going to have a hard time protecting themselves from being, being on the hook for those risks. SEC Chair Gary Gensler has said in the past that this proposal prohibits GPs from, quote, engaging in a number of activities that are contrary to the public interest and the protection of investors. This is the subject of our latest Delivering Alpha newsletter out every other week. You can subscribe using the QR code that you see on your screen right there, Scott. Thanks. Uh, stay with us, too. Weiss, I, obviously, I'd love your opinion on this. Yeah. So, look, what, what they're targeting are the clauses in all the subscription documents that say, hey, you know, you can sue us, but it's got to be gross negligence. Um, so it really does change the standards. The language may be subtle, but the impact of it, as we just heard from Schulte, which is one of the top 
attorneys for formation attorneys for hedge funds. But it doesn't just affect the hedge funds. I mean, funds. but do you think, let's stop first before right. I get to the other part. Do you think the impact to hedge funds will be significant as a result of this? I think what will be significant is that it's going to increase the costs of it. There'll be some bets that they don't take. It's going to increase the paper trail. It's much more bureaucracy. And if you expand it, it's not just hedge funds. It's also venture capital funds, private equity funds. The most who are at risk, in my view, are venture capital funds. And that has a direct impact on the economy. Because venture capital funds, I mean, they're looking for one winner out of every 10, 20, 30 losers. So they're going to have to you know, really think carefully about what they do. But this is ultimately going to be shaped by the courts. So the question is, if you really mess up on one position, but yet the overall portfolio performance is good, do you have a, do you have a cause of action? No, I'd love, I'd love Leslie's take uh, on that. I think that's a great question, right? I mean, proving, yeah. quote unquote, ordinary negligence is, is not exactly uh, easy either, no. uh, I, I guess, would be the, the, the question. It yeah, it's much more of a gray area. And I think another element to this will be due diligence and kind of how you can stand up certain investments in court. And that kind of goes into the whole idea that managers will be far less risky if they, you know, are doing, you know, extra due diligence, which some would argue is actually very necessary in this world, but also being able to really, really justify any kind of loss that you have in your portfolio. Um, you know, it, it's much more of a, a gray area of how the courts will respond to that. But and it's also that um, you're going to hit the you're going to hit the managers that can't afford the infrastructure. You for for some of the managers, you know, that have made their money, say, okay, that's it, the last row I'm getting out of the business. But who are you trying to? The time to go family office, right? Time to go family. But who are you protecting? They're sophisticated investors. There's a certain financial limit that, you, you know, net worth you need to invest. So spend your time enforcing so many of the other, laying down rules for so many other things and leave this alone. At some point, it's got to be buyer beware. It's self-policing because if a manager screws up, they're out of business anyway. If they're, not if they're not doing the due diligence repeatedly and if there are what would be gross mistakes, then they're not going to stay around. So it's really formed to self-policing in the hedge fund world and private equity. Private equity, though, they've got seven-year, 10-year, sometimes 15-year investments. You got a quick take on this? What we got? I think it's the SEC just trying to expand the enforcement net further. And I'm not necessarily sure that it means that hedge funds are going to be taking any less risk. They'll or, just paper or, it more. Yeah, I, I, I think they'll, they'll just model things differently. I think when the opportunity to potentially generate alpha is there, they're going to take it. The ambulance chasers are going to do so benefit so much from this. That's who's going to benefit. Hey, Les, thank you so much. Uh, great stuff. I appreciate it. Leslie Picker. And by the way, uh, registration is now open for this year's Delivering Alpha Investor Summit in New York. You can scan the QR code on your screen. Or you can visit CNBCEvents.com slash Delivering Alpha, September 28th. Hope to see you there. Up next, Mike Santoli with his midday word. We're back right after this. Dow's good for about 143. All right, we're back. Mike Santoli, you can see him right here for his midday word. I, I like the conversation you guys were having earlier, the, the bull case versus the bear case, bull case being, you know, growth continuing, yep. inflation moderating. You had some interesting thoughts, I thought, on the on the bear on the bear case of, you know, sticky inflation. Yeah. And the 
bull case has already been realized to right. some the, degree from the move that we've had. The bear case, in a, in a sense, is anything that deviates from the pristine soft landing scenario with growth not really decelerating much and earnings coming back uh, is going to be tough for the market to absorb. I think that, you know, you could counter that with the idea that, again, uh, you, you, go, you can wield the high concentration levels of this market both directions. Uh, I know BlackRock has a pretty good chart here saying earnings forecast, forward earnings forecast for everything outside of big cap tech is basically flat mm -hmm. from here on out. Big cap tech is causing an uptick in overall earnings power. So flat, is that enough? Flat. Well, I was going to say, as you said that, that doesn't sound so bad. Exactly, like, yeah. Better than what was originally projected. Right. But the equal weight S&P is up like 5 6% year to date. So that's a pretty decent move in half a year for, so to speak, the typical stock. Um, I, I definitely see it both ways. What I find fascinating is this is the moment where you would have to revise your view for the end of the year. Most strategists are not doing that. They're basically saying we're still cautious, market looks too expensive. So that tells me there's still a little bit of caution for this market to feed off. Bottom of the screen right there is a look in 10-year, right? Right yeah. at 4%. Yeah. Um, and we talked at the top of our show today, the, the real test here is that, you know, can stocks withstand a now a period of, of even higher rates for a while. Yeah, and the key is that it's it's very positive real yields. So people would point to that and say this policy is already pretty restrictive, especially if we get to five and a half percent on the Fed funds, tips yields right now, two, three or something like that, or even lower. But still, it's like a two and a half percent real yield. Can the economy withstand that? Can earnings withstand that? So far, uh, we've been challenging a lot of the traditional relationships, I think, or at least they've been this very prolonged period when it hasn't, uh, you haven't had that reckoning. Yeah. So we'll, All right. we'll see you in a couple hours. Uh, that's Mike Santoli. He'll join us again on the Closing Bell, of course. Final Trades next. All right, Closing Bell, 3 o'clock Eastern. I hope you'll join me then. Dan Greenhouse is going to do that. Uh, Nicole Webb as well. Elizabeth Burton is Goldman Sachs' client investment strategist. New guest for us. And hope you'll join us in just a couple hours' time. Let's do Final Trades. Brid, what do you got for us? Uh, Visa. There is a lot of swiping going on this summer. Um, their earnings come out July 24th. They're going to look for have earnings growth around 6.6 .6 and revenue growth of 10.8. So I think it'll be a bright spot in the financial sector. All right. A lot of traveling, a lot of swiping. Bryn's right about that. All right. What do you got, Weiss? Jacobs. So Jacobs is really a consulting firm when you come to the end of the day. It's an under-the-radar stock, about $16 billion mark cap. And I just like it here. It's been acting well. I think continue to act well and be a good quarter. I heard you were on your best behavior, by the way, when I was gone. I, of course, I think that's total nonsense. I, I had not no true, agitator but... sitting in your seat. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Joe. W.W. Granger, my favorite industrial all-time high. All right. See you on the bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer.
From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 